Hello, I'm Pete Raby, CEO of the X4 Group, and you are listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. I'm a big believer, like many of you, that good leadership takes a hunger to learn and reflect. And when we open up about our own experiences, we give others permission to do the same. With me today is David Breer, CEO of 11FS. Having pitched and run billion-pound transformations for some of the biggest financial services companies, David founded the Challenger Consultancy to build and launch the next generation of digital propositions for some of the biggest banks in the world. Today, we're going to discuss just how he built a multi-million pound a month business in just six years and doing all of that from organic funding. How are you today? And um, what on earth uh, made you think about this in the first place? <laughs> it's a good question. And actually, um, one that uh, my wife uh, and my mum at the time very much uh uh, asked me as well when I said I was going to be quitting a, a job I'd worked really hard for to to start this new business um, that had no customers and no brand and arguably no chance against uh, gigantic organizations with infinity funding and millions of people, you know, like, so uh, I, I kind of think most entrepreneurs' journeys start with a, a hunger to solve a problem. Um, and actually, mine was my background prior to 11FS. I, I ran uh, the global digital banking capability for a big management consultancy. Um, before that, uh, a big Indian offshoring company. Uh, before that, a big transformation at a bank. So I've sort of seen the industry from many different angles. And actually, the problem that really stood out to me as one that really wasn't being solved in the market, and more than more than just not being solved, but was actually almost impossible for big organizations to solve because of the, the way in which their business model was created, was that big financial services organizations were were not adapting to the new world. They were not able to really position themselves to understand what digital is. You know, digital uh, was for a decade treated like it was a distribution channel for you know analog products, but actually the the capabilities that digital can really bring to a business, both in terms of what it can do from a customer perspective, from an operational perspective, from an operational cost perspective, are fundamentally transformational in in the truest sense, and that's really the what we you know embarked on trying to help the the financial services landscape with. Yeah, I think there's already a little bit to unpack there when it comes to um, you clearly hadn't rushed in and <laughs> had the kind of opposite experience to, that I did would, after three and a half years' experience, I decided that, well, that's more than enough to be able to know it all and grow something. Um, and, and, and actually realizing years later that, ah, that's been a bit of an Achilles heel and you've kind of uh, it's been a slower trajectory than I'd have liked, mainly because of that lack of experience beforehand. And it doesn't sound like you were coming at it from an uninformed position. You've done it in multiple businesses across, uh, across the sector. Now, the advantage, of course, of doing that is that you were doing so probably having read up quite a bit on how businesses go through growth. But before we get to the growth part, has the aim for what you're doing now ever changed or did right at the beginning, did you go, no, I think we've got the ability to create something quite big and quite special here. This is this is what we're going to go for. How, how, how's that developed? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say the um, the aspiration definitely was always to build, you know, a build, build a big business, you know, big in inverted commas, which is always not particularly effective on a podcast, isn't it? In that sense, but but I, I think for for anybody listening, to this really, I think uh, actually, you know, we knew we could do more together than apart, uh, and actually, this was the the conversation. And it feels like two seconds ago, you know, six years ago, we started the business, but it feels like two seconds ago having that conversation with, you know, I quit my job, I spent a couple of months figuring out how to put this thing together, and then actually, you know, common sort of wisdom, and and I really 
agree with this is like this is this is a marathon you've got to do it with other people you've got to bring together people who complement your skill sets and you complement theirs uh to to really live through this journey in this in this sense so but the pitch to the to the early uh joiners in terms of the founders of the business was was all about look we could go and command great day rates you know for cons- doing individual contracting and doing this on our own and that would be lovely that would be a nice life you could have a great holiday you know three times a year and buy a nice car and whatnot but actually if we fundamentally want to change the fabric of the industry which is what we set out to achieve with 11fs then you need to come together to make that happen um i actually use the um the Avengers is a metaphor for that. And actually, we still refer to it internally in, in terms of superheroes and Avengers and those types of things, which is, you know, you could be Iron Man and have your own movie and that's great. But when the big bad guy turns up, you need all the Avengers to get together. Uh, and the sort of inflection point that we see within the financial services industry was, well, actually about bringing together the the Avengers of financial services that actually can solve the problem in the way in which the problem needs to be solved. So, Aspirationally, we always knew that was a big, a big task. Aspirationally, we know it's a global uh, problem in that sense. But we always set out to achieve that target. It's, it's a fairly unique journey. Like you, you can often do scaling to a certain point organically, David. But like the reality is, of course, often when you get to a certain size, extra cash would be useful for for a whole multitude of reasons. How purposeful was the organic route? And talk the listeners through what that thought process began like and how that developed. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I have a two reasons we haven't taken funding, um, and actually, it is purposeful. The um, the first one is I just don't really trust VCs. If I'm honest with you, I don't feel like our our value sets kind of align in terms of what it is that I'm trying to build as a as an entrepreneur or as a CEO running a business. And actually, the more short term view of actually where they want to get their investment. Um, those two things sort of just don't correlate with one another in that sense. Don't get me wrong, like some great people in v- the VC world, they're funding some fantastic opportunities, funding some fantastic businesses. It's just not the way that we really saw, uh, you know, our vision taking flight. Now, the the other challenge in that sense as well is like, I don't think any VC in their right mind would have invested in us, quite frankly, because, you know, it comes back to we were a uh, you know, a challenger consultancy starting out with no brand, no customers, no money in the bank, like who in their right mind would back us versus, you know, McKinsey or Accenture or Bain or BCG, like you would be out of your mind. So, so actually it sort of played to our advantage, but also massively played to our weaknesses because when there was five of us at the beginning of the organization, you know, I wouldn't have backed us either, quite frankly. In fact, most of my friends and family thought I was crazy as well, you know, but really the first thing we had to face into at that stage wasn't that, you know, we've got a right I- the right idea. It was about convincing other people of what we thought was right or what we thought was happening in the market uh, and finding, you know, crazy other people like us who who bought into the vision of the the business, the vision of the future. And that actually took twofold. I mean, ultimately, every business succeeds or fails by putting money in the bank or not, right? If you don't put money in the bank, you cease to exist as a business. So very quickly, we had to make sure we were putting money in the bank uh, in order to do the things that we wanted to do. Um, I should say 11FS isn't really one business. It's it's like five. We are, we are a, at this stage, we are a, a technology business. We are a, a venture building business. 
We are a research business. We're a product business building out a product called Pulse. Um, and we are a media business in the way in which we build our go-to-market, our brand. You know, we're one of very few organizations that their marketing department has a sales numbers because it generates significant revenue in terms of the uh, the ability to, to, to monetize the ways in which we go to market. But it hasn't always been that way. And the first thing we had to really figure out was, okay, well, what do we believe and what do we have to convince other people who might think like us to do something about it? And that was that really comes down to brand in that sense. I managed to uh, find somebody pretty quickly who believed something very similar to us. Um, but actually, the first problem you have uh, often creates a domino effect of the next one. I remember having a conversation with one of our co-founders, which was like, okay, well, we've got a customer. We need a website. So our minds, after winning that first customer and starting that work, very much turned to, well, actually, how do we create credibility in a brand? What's the way that we can do that that's non-linear in the way in which other brands do it? You know, a, a McKinsey or an Essentia will have, you know, 400 coffees and, you know, rounds of golf. How do we do that in this day and age? Um, and that very much took us to, well, content marketing. It was about it was about social media. It was about giving away free research. You know, we get comments all the time from some of the biggest banks on the planet, which is like, we get better insights from you for free than we pay somebody else for, which then turns into multi-million pound scopes uh, of work that we can do with them because we align on belief system before we engage with them. And we've used all of these things in a a non-traditional sense, which again, if we go back to the, the question around VCs, I think most VCs would have thought we were crazy. I mean, at one point we did a documentary and had a screening of it at a cinema. We're talking about the financial crash and everything that happened since then had fantastic people coming along to us. There's no way a VC would have said that was a good idea, but actually it helps us establish our credibility and our authenticity in the way in which we talk to people, Um, but also our place in the community. And the fintech community globally has done fundamentally amazing things in in this space. And we've really created a a center ground for us in that space with everything that we've done with 11FS. Was the the decision to have kind of five separate business elements, one that was very much part of the master plan from the outset, David, because I'm assuming some of them are revenue bringing, you know, profitable and bringing in money to be able to fund the others. Is it was that all part of the plan from the beginning? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the the uh, it's a strange one, you know. Again, conventional wisdom is like do one thing, do it amazingly well, move on. But actually, when you're building a business, that's incredibly stupid because essentially what you're saying is you're putting all your eggs on one revenue stream. Actually, what I was really conscious of of making sure that we we built from the get go was a multi revenue stream model because actually some of them will do amazingly well. Consultancy is incredibly spiky. You know, you'll get a huge deal, you do it for a year or two years or whatever, and then the drought kicks in and you've got to kind of find business. That that roller coaster in that model is is hard. Reoccurring revenue from product is fantastic, right? Because especially something for us like um, Pulse, that will renew a you know eighty percent uh, renewal rate. From our perspective, that's that's blowing air into a, a balloon that will continue to give in that sense. But but actually, the the ability then for some of your parts of your products and your services to to collaborate and and be a multiplier effect of differentiation for you as a brand that was always the plan from the get go. So taking that startup mentality to all of the problems that you face in that sense, 
allowed us really to create this 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 cycle of opportunity and cycle of, of of revenue that actually all we've done since then is is reinvest the the profit that we've made from our services business from our media business from our product businesses back into the group to to keep blowing more and more air into that balloon I, uh, listening to a, a finance related podcast recently there was that pretty famous bit of research they did amongst 3,000 businesses that had become insolvent and um, 80% of them are profitable. And I think that wonderful realization of profit versus cash is um, actually one of those balances that is very difficult to, to, to get right, David. So as things grow and grow and grow, it can be easy for the core innovation that's begun the business. And clearly the model has been working very well so far. Um, it, it, it can be easy for certain things to drop or to become less important or to have that all-important routine that allows creativity or innovation to flow. How have you, uh, have there been any specifics that you make sure that you do with your whole company or with leaders in particular to make sure that that innovation and ideas can keep coming in? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's the old diagram that people draw about, look, you know, five people at the beginning, there's not that many lines between those five people, right? So what you come together for, your vision of where you want to get to, the communication is super, super clear. But absolutely, as you grow, you break all of those things. I think the you know the single biggest sign of somebody I, I think who's going to be successful is the adaptability of change at this stage, because actually change is constant in a hyper-growing organization. You know, you put in place processes for 20 people. And actually, when you get to 30, they break. When you get to 50, they just don't even, they feel like something you did in kindergarten, never mind uh, some. And that's fine because they were great at the time. And that's not just processes, but you find people actually operate at different parts of the business much more effectively in a small team than they do in a medium team and, and definitely don't operate in a big team. Some people are great at uh, operating in chaos. Some people thrive on that, in fact. And some people who, with a little bit more structure around them, find it suffocating in that sense in terms of what they what they bring to the table. So, I think if you're if you're running and operating a business, you've got to come to terms with the fact that anything you think you've fixed, you haven't. Anybody who you think is going to be with you forever won't be. Um, and that's not the end of the world. That's not a bad thing. Actually, processes and people and, and technology get you from A to B, but they don't get you to to Z. When Z's the the misty mountain of really where you want to be. That's the that's the strategy, the vision, the 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 plan, the utopia that you want to get to. So I think coming to terms with anything you f- think is fixed is not. Uh, I think is probably the, the biggest thing to to overcome for many CEOs to. And I think this is why many bail out at some point because I think that cycle. I, I'm a big um, sports guy, so like um, many of the metaphors I bring to 11FS are more about sports than it is business in that sense. But if you look at many of the conversations that somebody like Alex Ferguson has had since his retirement, the you know legendary Manchester United manager, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, um, you know he said actually building a team, the first team, you got enough money, it's easy, right? Rebuilding that team, you know, getting rid of the people who have got you to that point. You know, knowing when it's time to move people on, knowing who's performing where and when and, and, and how within the framework, the models that you want them to do, that's difficult. Like, you know, anybody can luck out and win a championship once, but to create a, a dynasty of success is, is really, really hard. And the way that we've done that is, you know, it was really 
easy with five people. You know, we aligned on values, we aligned on beliefs, we aligned on strategy. But what we found and our, you know, our vision is all about changing the fabric of financial services. Our mission as a business is really clear. It's just to unleash talent. It, it is to, to create the environment, to create the, the culture that allows people to perform at the highest level that they possibly can. And if we do that, then we find they are successful and therefore their teams are successful, their business area is successful, and at an aggregate, the business is successful in that sense. And being really clear about the the values, the the beliefs, the behaviors that facilitate that environment to be created is the biggest non-negotiable that we have as a as an organization. Uh, it leads to uh, attitude out over uh, achievement in in a mentality, but actually. I think if you focus on on the attitude that creates success rather than just the success itself, then actually you're able to replicate it. You know, I, I often say it's like anybody can score a, a basket from the halfway line if you throw like a thousand of them, but being able to shoot a free throw, which was much closer and hit it 90% of the time, it is the dream, right? You can make a career doing that. You can maybe win a car doing it once at a halftime look show, you know, uh, the other one. So so actually being able to repeat success and build the processes, the capabilities, the the rituals, the rhythms of an organization that can repeat the thing, then that's where you go from being a, a great team to being a great business. Yeah, about three things off the, off the back of that fascinating insight, David, which I'd, I'd like to maybe just stop and pause and re- reflect on slightly. I think it's a, it's, it's, a great, uh, it's a great example you give of coaches or business leaders. There's a brilliant new um, CEO study out by McKinsey, the consultancy, about what great CEOship looks like. And it's, 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 uh, it, the first chapter is explaining its methodology and approach. And for anyone that hasn't got into that yet, I'd, I'd encourage it because it's been a, 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 full of lovely data and statistics, but also different methodologies that allow people to get there. So that's a, that's a pretty great book. But one of the things you've just talked about there is there's some CEOs that just get to a point where they go, okay, cool enough <laughs> and 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 let me cash out because or let me get someone else doing this job because it's just the change is so constant it's so unrelenting blah, blah blah actually you know sir alex is a great example because i don't think he could have done that and great coaches and great leaders can do that without the enjoyment of it yeah and actually what you're talking about is a mindset an expectation management of yourself but then i'd imagine leaders who do it best are going to be able to communicate the, you know, the, the old famous phrase of like there is only one constant change because the reality is if you're evolving, evolving, but if you can somehow get the headspace and an environment of senior people together that enjoy and revel off it, as you say, absolutely do the learning of how do we achieve that? Well, great. Let's make sure we replicate that and add some bits to it for the next time, not getting fixated on success. I think that is very, very interesting. I want to ask you in a moment in relation to your development, um, but before we get onto that, I'd be really interested to um, know, and I agree with your earlier statement a lot. I think there's definitely people that are different, are, are good for different chapters of the business. We're, um, I, I know you guys are well into the 300s in terms of um, employees and headcount now. We're only at the kind of two, 210, 220 kind of level. But the reality is I've definitely seen that there are some people very good for one chapter that aren't necessarily good for the second. And just being really open and honest and candid about that, being authentic when you have you know conversations in relation to, to what that looks like. But how have you gone about measuring the adaptability of change in hires and leaders over the years? Is this just to step back and get feedback in and kind of 
you know, uh, come to your own devices with it? Do you, do you have anything particularly within your hiring process that actually gets that measured and looked at? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's baked into our values, really. I mean, uh, uh, you know, one of our, to your point earlier on around actually, you know, it, it's it's in our DNA, like it's in the DNA of the people that we look for. We we have baked in certain questions to to see where people bias towards, but restlessness is a is a core belief of ours, you know, whether that's me as the the CEO or whether it's an intern in the organization, it doesn't matter who it is. Actually, the the restlessness in place to know the thing that we've done today is what we've done with the variables that we have at play. You know, actually, the variables could be money, it could be time, it could be uh, the client, it could be the market conditions, whatever, like any of those things, right? But with different conditions means actually you can achieve a different outcome. You can achieve a different approach in terms of what those things would be. Um, and the restlessness in that sense means that actually, you know, we always say about the, the market, you know, we say digital banking is 1% finished. But internally, we say 11FS is 1% finished as well, because anything that we've done today, we know, starting with the knowledge that we have, we could do a better job on. And that, that isn't a failing. It's just part of succeeding. You know, equally, the, the flip of that, I always say it's like, you're never really a failure. You can fail but you never really succeed. You're just succeeding. You know, these things are transient in that sense in terms of whether you're doing one or whether you're doing the other in that sense. The the biggest, you know, learning of all of that is the resilience to to not get too, too high in the high points, but also to, to dust yourself off when it comes to, you know, you lose a client or there's a problem or, you know, all sorts of things of shenanigans have happened over the, the course of the six years of running, you know, this business. But but actually being able to sleep well at night under any of those conditions and have the resilience to to move forwards. I, I would say my slogan for life is like always falling forwards because actually if you're you're leaning into the challenges that you've got with a smile on your face predominantly, then you can pretty much overcome everything. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about that then because the reality is the challenges that you faced in your previous jobs compared to being a startup you know, founder and, and all those bits of pieces in between to what the role is now. I mean, goodness me, the huge difference of being a sub 50 person business as a founder to sub 150 and then 200 plus, your role becomes very different as thing goes on. And I know that I've benefited enormously only in the last 12 months, sadly, of, uh, of, of the benefit of external help, and coaches, and consultants, and non-exec advisors, et cetera, et cetera. How have you gone about your professional development, David, and what what um what methodologies have you found to be the most successful for you? Best method that I, I mean, I, I'm not really sure. It's like I'm not sure I'm going to be able to write a book off the back of this from a methodology perspective. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no there's no like um, sixty second abs for building a great business. I think it's like it's like hire people who are really really passionate and good at what they do. And that sounds really stupid when you say it out loud, but a big part of that is understanding what you're really not good at. So what's the what's the things that you need the most amount of support on? And it's really weird that because actually as an entrepreneur, you're probably incredibly confident at what you uh, what you can do. And you're like, I can turn my hand to anything and I'll be awesome at it type thing. But that's fine when you're juggling like three balls. But let's say you're successful and suddenly you've got 50 balls it doesn't matter how good you are at that, you're going to fail at something. So very early on, it's like, actually, you don't need to be the best at everything. There's a really good advisor, uh, advice that, you know, I was, I was given. And actually, that I was given that very early on in my career. 
I think great business builders are not not the people who are doing the thing that either the organization does best. They're the people who can facilitate and and uh, mobilize people well because you're constantly doing that. You're constantly building teams to fix problems. You're mobilizing people. You're uh, you're into the the day-to-day and the minutiae in terms of the the micro tactics in terms of what you're doing. But you're the person who needs to make sure everybody gets their head up to know where the Misty Mountain is and that that macro view of actually where we're going and why and reminding people of those things. Like why do we all get out of bed every day? Like what's the what's the vision? What's the what's, where's the passion in that sense in terms of it? And where's the the positivity to keep going in that sense? So I think if you figure out the stuff that you're you're bad at and just hire really great people to to do that, you know, bring them in who align with your belief system and then just keep replacing yourself. Like how many bits of what you do that you're okay at can you get somebody in to do amazingly well? And then actually what you find is that your role as the the scale of the business becomes changes dramatically. You know, yeah, a hundred people actually I'm you know, I'm not running payroll anymore and I'm not doing, you know, all of the hiring systems or have access to the HR systems because like actually at 100 people, you shouldn't, right? You know, at 200 people, then, you know, things are fundamentally different. You know, you've got a, I've got a, a chairman, um, Sean uh, Meadows, who, I mean, when I was at Aviva and, and he was at Aviva, he was the CEO of Aviva. I presented at his board twice I'm not sure even he's politely says he knew I existed, but I'm pretty sure he didn't even know I existed. You know what I mean? But the, but the lessons that I took from his board was that senior people don't need to be dicks. Like actually senior people can be incredibly compassionate, be incredibly empathetic, can actually uh, operate a business, even at the scale of Aviva's with a very human focus to it. So, you know, if you're thinking about starting a business, who are the 20 people who you've met during your career that actually you would go back to who have some superhuman skill that even with the most ridiculous hangover, they could still be the person you would always turn to for that thing? Now, actually, with 11FS, I built that organization based on that. You know, Ryan Wareham, who's our group COO, is the guy who I've seen be in the muck and the mire of delivery more than anybody like he just does that amazingly well like jason bates one of the co-founders best product person i've ever crossed in my entire life like co-founded monzo co-founded starling can just market products in a way that is is hypnotic naz rgc is just the best legal person i've ever come across in my entire life and actually all of them share the the value system the belief system so not only are they individually amazing people but actually the combining factor of having two or three, two or three of these people in a in a meeting or in a business or in a a project is infectious for other people at that sense. But actually, you know, it comes back to the point of like find out what you're bad at, bring together great people to to complement their skill sets with your skill sets, and and vice versa. Uh, and actually, what you find is just great things happen off the back of that as well. Are you talking? Look, you mentioned a few things there about advice and about hearing from this and hearing from that person and finding out what you're good at. What are we talking about here? Are, we, are you talking about really good mentors that have existed? Are you talking about having a a great networking ethos, David? Are you, are you talking about having a fixed amount of people that you make sure that you catch up with once a year? What are we talking about here? 
I've never, I've never had a mentor. Like there's never, it's never been a, it's never been a thing. To your point earlier on around learning from the situations you're in, I was always accused as a child to be reasonably precocious in that sense, which is like, actually, if you, uh, if everything's going to shit, like make sure you're paying attention because actually the traits and the behaviors of the people who keep it together in those periods of time are where you'll learn the most. And also, I mean, good advice for kind of anybody starting out in their career as well is like, go places where everything's broken. Like some of the, I mean, I joined financial services. I joined a big bank in 2008 when the financial crisis was was kicking in. Like actually learning calmness and uh, and, and sort of considered communication under pressure. It was a, an amazing training ground for that. But when everybody else is kind of losing their head and not seeing the opportunity in front of them because you know, share price this or banking, whatever, like actually seeing opportunities when other people are panicking is like a skill set in that sense as well. So I don't think it's as defined as like, well, you know, you have a a mentor and then, you know, you meet them every month and they fix your problems and blah, 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 blah. Like, I think it it's like therapy. Do you know what I mean? Like, does the therapist do, a bu- you know, does the psychologist do a bunch of things? Well, not really. You're talking, aren't you? So actually, it's about you probably listening to yourself talk more than it is the therapist. They're just asking some smart questions, right? So I don't really believe in mentors in that way. Um, and equally, I'm not a particularly good networker. Like, I'm not like this guy who, you know, has like 500 WhatsApp messages going in in that sense. Um, you know, with Ryan, I'd fallen out of touch with Ryan, not because I didn't like him, but I was like, dude's crushing it. He was like, you know, doing an amazing job at RGA and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, first time he heard from me in like five years was like, you know, hey, dude, do you want to chat? And we met at a pub and I told him about what we were doing. And, you know, one thing led to another and he's, you know, doing what he's doing now for 11FS. So so I don't think it is about having this huge network where, uh, where actually you're like, you know, keeping all of these plates spinning in that sense. But I think it is making meaningful impact with people on the projects that you do with them and the time that you spend with them that actually when some of them so when you ring one of them up six years later and go do you want to quit your job and come and work with us to do this amazing thing that they might consider it and if you think in your career that actually every conversation you have every interaction you have might be an audition to somebody that actually you might want to come and join your business in six years time it makes you think really differently about well, how do you answer your DMs on LinkedIn? Or, you know, how do you engage with people on social media? Because everything for me is a, you know, in that sense, everything is an audition. Fascinating stuff, though, really fascinating. And uh, yeah, some really interesting uh, interpretations and impressions of of some of those kind of, um, of some of those areas there. And um, before we get onto the nice, light hearted question where I um, probably selfishly ask for some kind of book or podcast that I, I don't know about yet that I can add to my pile that seems to be building and building and means that I've got to cycle a lot of journeys to work to be able to listen to them all. Um, <laughs> I'd be interested to know organic growth. Again, this is the kind of the conversation. What have been realistically the biggest challenges with, with this organic growth so far? Uh, gift and a curse. You know, like actually um, organically building a business and a multifaceted business with you know multiple business models um actually your your ability to get it wrong is is diminished you know actually another business might be able to go and spend you know three four million on something that might come off but from our perspective actually we need to be really certain about what we're doing so the decision making in terms of investment you know should we put an office in dubai or new york or whatever like actually when we decide to do those things, we go really all in. 
but actually we need to really make sure that actually what we're doing has the the returns that we expect to see in the the, the views that we expect them to to return as well so so i think all of those things are you know i say a, a gift and a curse because it's amazing how many businesses and how many corporates kind of forget forget themselves really you know what i mean like the the thing i ask of everybody in the business is to spend every penny like it's their own uh it's something that i kind of try to embody kind of all the way through my career whether it was you know lloyd's banking group or aviva or gartner or wherever it's like you know you spend every penny like it's your own therefore actually the decisions you make around investment actually would you put your money in this would if this is your million pounds to build this feature would you do that because if people can you know authentically say yes to that uh that question then it's a no brainer and we should do it um if it isn't a yes then why why are you leaving yourself at the door like what's the what's the difference between you and your personal life and you and your professional life that actually would potentially risk a million pounds or 10 million pounds or whatever but only if it was somebody else's money not yours and i think that that answers a, a big question around talent like there's just no way of of faking talent in that sense you know this is by nature Every business is a people business, whether you build product or you build services or, you know, whatever you could, you know, make movies, you could put people on the moon, whatever, like all of those things that are people businesses and the success of those businesses comes down to the successes of those individuals within that businesses and the environment that that business creates for them to be successful. And if you, you know, I really do think if you boil everything down to, to, to that, it's like, you know, a great culture and great talent and actually everything comes good off the back of that. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with that principle for sure. Um, how important is it that startups ask what does good look like, David? Because the reality is, you know, there's, there's some very famous examples out there and I'm thinking particularly like, you you know, I use household names of Microsoft and Apple. People think that these companies were overnight successes, but the reality is they had 20 years of long, hard graph before they kind of got to the scale of what they were regarded of what good looks like, but as 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 is the famous quote with Microsoft, well our aim here is to put a you know personal computer on the home of every of, of every person that, that that could do with one really. And that was a pretty grandiose vision from a startup. Yeah, what what are your views on how long term businesses should be thinking? I think businesses probably should be thinking as long as their cash flow does. You know, and I, and actually I, I think beyond that, I think it turns from planning to wishes. Uh, and actually I think everybody needs to be a little bit more realistic than that. I think if you look at somebody like an Apple or a Google, most people kind of focus on the signs of success rather than actually what made them successful in the first place. So it's like, well, we want to be like Google. We want to be like Apple. Therefore, it's like, well, do we need to, you know, have a gigantic glass-fronted hallway, you know, uh, office and give everybody Tuesdays off and free lunches? It's like, well, that's what they do now, but that's not what they did start with. So how do you emulate the the thing that made them successful, which was a, a very deeply seated uh, passion for solving customer problems and really, really talented people. Like, and actually, if you can take that, it's like um, it's like everybody watching, uh, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo play football and thinking it's the boots. You know, like maybe if we just put boots on everybody, they'll play really well. And it's like, well, no, you still need to work really hard every day and put in the training and have the dietitian and 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 and. Uh, and that's the bit that I think many people are missing. It's it's a sad reality. I mean, a lot of people think entrepreneurship is like being Elon Musk and Bill Gates. You know, what I mean, it's, and it's not that. It's like you are the 
the chief product of like fixing problems solver like yeah we need to work up a catchy slogan for it in that sense but but basically you're the 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 fireman of the business you solve whatever problem you need to on a day-to-day basis your priorities will will shift within a week dramatically based on a legal problem or a you know a, a big opportunity or someone being off sick or you know whatever and to your point earlier on you've got to you've got to love that to do this there's a lot of people who um, want to be a CEO because they think it's like the person in charge and, you know, people open doors and whatnot. But but fundamentally, you've got to be really comfortable with, I think, being really humble about what you don't know, be able to be humble enough to put your hands up and say, we got that wrong or I got that wrong or whatever, but also be be hungry enough still, even when you're succeeding, to get out of bed at 6am every morning and go again. Um, because if you don't love the journey and only are in it for the the ends, either the result, the destination, then you'll never make it. It's too hard. Yeah, really interesting stuff there, Dave. Really interesting indeed. When it comes to there are some, I've got some really interesting answers to these questions. But have there been any books or podcasts that you listen to that have given you some really long lasting learns, David? Um, do you know, what? I I um one of my biggest failings. I never really read books. I a, don't have the time, but uh, but B, it's just not a medium that I really engage with. Um, the only real exception to that, uh, there's a there's an author called Damien Hughes, uh, Professor Damien Hughes. He's actually got a really good podcast with Jake Humphreys called the High Performance Podcast. Um, and Damien, there's a book he wrote uh, called The Barcelona Way, um, which was all about the the intersection of of business and and football, and actually what businesses can learn from the culture, the commitment culture that Barcelona Football Club created. Fantastic read, um, you know, got me to talk to, to Damien. We've actually had him on our show a bunch of times as well. Really, really smart, lovely, you know, Mancunian dude. Like you wouldn't think he was like a, you wouldn't think he was so smart in terms of being like super, super professor because he's so nice in terms of being a nice guy. Um, but I'd highly recommend any book that he puts out in that sense as well. If I'm honest with you, the thing that I always draw most inspiration from is like, like, and, and actually, I think, I think it shaped my mentality. If I'm honest with you, growing up as a, you know, I was born in 1980, so I kind of scraped being a millennial just, but like 80s children are used to training montages. Like it doesn't matter if it's Rocky or Karate Kid or like whatever, like give me a 80s movie where people put in a lot of work in a short period of time in order to achieve a thing. And I think that's the best metaphor for being an entrepreneur that there is, is like there, and sadly there's no training montage and nice music scene that gets you through the hours and hours of hard work, but still, you know, you've got to do them. Absolutely. Um, David, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really fascinating having the conversation because as I mentioned, a lot of the guests we've had in the last 18 months specifically have had, yeah, uh, raising capital journeys. So the fact that we've got an incredible business so far um, off the back of doing things in a different way is fascinating. Um, Thanks everyone for listening. Um, If you enjoyed the episode, please give a five-star rating and share with others in your network. Thanks again, David. Thank you.